We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, Crossroads, good morning. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And I just want to tell you, thank you for joining us from all over the place. I know John and Kay, you guys are joining. Tina, I saw from Roseville. We've got people from Montana joining us. Uh, If my friend Melissa is joining us, hey, congratulations on your engagement. That is so cool. But man, we're just grateful that you're with us here today. Our mission is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And so if we can help you in any way do that, we want to help you in your next steps. That's why those chat hosts are available to you. So please, please be reaching out to them throughout the service. Um, Guys, this COVID stuff is, is still happening. Obviously, we're still sheltering at home and different states are doing different things. And so we just lean into what we're hearing to be able to provide a safe environment and to provide a, an opportunity for us to know that we're in this together and we'll let you know more as we know it. And, but the reality is, is that there's some good things happening. There's some confusing things happening and there's some things that are really kind of a, a big question mark to us as it comes to this whole, this whole situation that we're in, which is why I believe that this series is so important. And it's a series that we call Asking for a Friend. And, and if you're joining us from Easter, man, welcome back to you. If you got invited by a friend to be able to check out this, this uh, service, thank you for being here today. We're just really, really glad that you chose to worship with us here at Crossroads. Uh, and please let us know if you have questions, there's anything we could do for you. Again, those chat hosts are available for you. Uh, because this series is actually where we're tackling some of the toughest questions that people are asking of God. By a friend, of course, right? Because we know that asking for a friend is how we can ask questions without really having to ask them for ourselves. Things that we might be too embarrassed to normally ask. Uh, now, I, I said out of my social media account, I said, hey, love for you guys to give me some, some of your best asking for a friend uh, questions. And you, you did not disappoint, my friends. Uh, for instance, one of these said, uh, can you... Can you sell your kids on eBay or would it have to be Etsy since they're technically homemade? Asking for a friend. That was my friend in Georgia asking that. Um, How about this very timely? Can you flush a tortilla? Don't know. I'm sure my son Easton probably would try it. But asking for a friend, of course. Um, Is it too late? I like this. Is it too late to change who you're quarantined with? (laughs) Um, Asking for a friend. Um, but then, of course, this one, you know, here in Central California, you got to ask this. Can you shoot a turkey in your neighbor's yard if they're not home? Asking for a friend. Um, and then this one, this needs a little unpacking. Um, honestly, it's getting a little too close to home. This one says, um, I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, hey, PB, do bald folks ever shampoo and condition their head just for old time's sake? Asking for a friend. Uh, That's a straight up hate crime right there. And uh, I will find out who that was and we'll have a conversation about it. Right. But but here's the thing. Uh, As we said last week, there are a lot more deeper questions that we have on our hearts than just those questions about God and life and our place in this whole kind of messed up thing that we're in the middle of right now which is why last week we started with a question that so many that don't believe in God will ask or even are far from God. And it's the question, how can you believe in something you can't see? So it's the question of God's existence. 
And, and I would say that if you missed that message last week, I would just really love for you to go back and take a look at that on, on our free app or on the website, or you can find it on any of our social media accounts. But, but the bottom line that we found out last week for this question was that there's so many fingerprints of God that are around us that it make it so obvious that he actually does exist. They're everywhere. However, we know that our head knowledge of God is, is not enough, is not enough. It has to go from our head to our heart to our soul. And for that to happen, we said last week that seeing God requires different eyes. We need to allow our eyes of faith to open up so we could see things differently and allow God into our lives. But beyond just God's existence, there are some other questions that we have of God especially in a day and age that we live right now. And in this COVID situation has done that to a lot of people, me, me included. We are asking all kinds of questions. I mean, when you're inside and you're sheltering in place and you're forced to stop doing everything that you normally were used to doing, you have a lot of time to reflect on life. Again, me included. I know for some people, they have, they've dealt with this time by remodeling their room and their house. Or, or I know Pastor Sean and his wife, they were doing rock work all day yesterday. And uh, maybe some of you are watching reruns of the Golden Girls. Or, or maybe you've got a Corona puppy. I, I don't know what you're doing, but I, I know everyone's dealing with it differently. But for me, I've kind of realized and been face to kind of face to face with some real big questions about myself and life and my kids and my family and my wife and leadership and in the church. Big questions that, that can honestly be a little haunting. Guys, I came face to face with the, the truth that I'm a jerk sometimes to my kids. I mean, during this time of me homeschooling them while also trying to be a full-time pastor and, and a leader, it, it's tested me in some ways that has shown me clearly God has got a whole bunch more that he has to do in my life. Um, I've been forced to grow as a leader and, and see where all my faults and all my weaknesses are at. They, they become glaring during times like this. I've never been so scared and so nervous and yet excited about being a leader in all my life. I've really had to dig into my motivations as being a pastor too. Because when you are preaching to an empty room that you don't have instant feedback on, it makes you question the pureness of your calling. God has been working more on me in empty rooms than he ever did in full rooms. And it's just to be straight with you, I've also had some questions directly of God, some why questions for him too. Like, why did this have to come when personally and economically and, and church-wise, things were going great? But why does my wife have to be afraid to go to work each day as a nurse anesthetist? Why did my kids have to miss out on school things and extracurricular things? Why are really great people who are working so hard just to make ends meet having to even work harder now? Guys, that... That's just me. You, you may think I'm crazy or off my rocker, and, and I, that's okay. But, but that's what I've been wrestling with during this time. And maybe you have too. Although I might be alone, I'm guessing that you probably in your more quieter moments have had moments of reflection. And, and in these moments, I'm guessing that your questions that you're directing are not directed to the universe all around you, but to, I believe, the God that is amongst it. Which is why this series is so important and so timely. Because we got some questions, don't we? We all got questions for God. But isn't it funny that we always look to God, even if you don't really believe in God, when things are out of balance in our world? Not when things are good, but when they're out of balance. We, we want him to answer when things are messed up, when they're suffering, or, or when we have a need. 
But is God always, but maybe the better question is, why is God always on the tip of our tongues in the roughest moments of our life? And it doesn't take a lot of hard thinking to see that the world around us is messed up. I mean, there's coronavirus and there's hunger and there's homelessness and there's wars and there's natural disasters and there's political division. It's, it's all around us. All of these are reminders on a daily basis of how much junk is floating around in our world. So as people who are considering whether God may or may not exist, it doesn't take too long for us to ask him, hey, what about all this mess that's around us? What's that about? I mean, if God is so merciful and he's so forgiving and so loving, why would he want our world to be coming apart at the seams like a cheap throw pillow from Walmart? Why? We want God to stand trial for the evil that we see, especially if he wants to be crowned the universal God of everything. Gang, even the Bible finds these requests of God. And, and they actually are from some of the people that are said to be the closest to him. David is a, is, a, is a person in the Bible. In the Old Testament, he is one of the most kind of a central figure. He's a big deal. But he's described as a man after God's own heart. But listen to the words of a man after God's own heart in Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. It says, this is what David says. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So, so how do we process through these moments of frustration, of hurt, of all this stuff that's happening in the world around us with God. Or, or maybe that's just God's Achilles heel. You know, maybe the existence of evil is the weak spot in God's argument that will disprove his existence altogether. So that's why today we're going to tackle this question as we answer this question. Why does a good God let terrible stuff happen? It's a terrible of both the goodness of God and how we reconcile the bad stuff that's happening all around us. So, so here's what I want to do with this question. I actually want to answer the question in reverse, if I may, which I'm going to anyway. But um, I, I want to start with the perceived problem of evil and pain and suffering and then end up by looking at the goodness of God. And here's why I want to do that. If evil is really the straw that breaks the back of God's existence, then there is no need to determine if he's good or if he's not because he doesn't exist to be good or bad. But as I said last week, I'm going to actually ask you to do something, though, as we listen together. And I want you to lean in with me. And I want you to lean in by accessing your mind, your heart, and your soul. All three of those. Don't just slink back from the answers that are out there and don't, don't tap out just because you might have to work hard to get where you want to go. But, but it's, it's kind of almost fitting though that one of the most famous sayings about hard work is applicable into our conversation today. And you probably have all have heard of it before. It's this, it's, fill this in with me. No pain, no gain. Right? No pain, no gain. Thank you, Jane Fonda, 1982, all your aerobics workout videos for that phrase. But no pain, no gain is, is this idea that in order to get what we want, we will have to go through some discomfort, some pain to get there. So if you want to get to the gain of the answers of these questions or any questions you might have, we have to be willing to go through some pain, put in some hard work 
to get there? Or, or do we? I mean, I mean, we live in a world that is allergic to pain. We try to find ways to avoid pain at all costs. And with that mindset, we wonder why God would not want to do the very same thing in our life. And if, and if he won't or if he can't, then I'm not sure I want him in my life or that he even exists. Because after all, this life should be pain-free in order to maximize our happiness. That's what we tell ourselves. But again, let's access our brain. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this perceived problem of evil that's around us. And to begin with, I want to borrow a, a, a visual aid from the apologist Ravi Zacharias. And I want you to think of two doors that you can walk through when it comes to evil and, and, and if, whether you believe in God or not. And so these two doors really have two perceptions. And the first perception is, is that since evil exists, God cannot exist. It, it's a thought. That since there is evil and pain and suffering in the world, then God cannot exist because any good God would not allow pain or evil in the world. But it's very important to think rationally and logically about this argument. And to do that, let me have you consider something just to activate your brains together. You can ask yourself these questions yourself if you want. And let me ask you this. How do you know something is cold? How do you know something is rough? How do you know if someone cheated? How do you know if someone is sick? Well, the, the way that you know something is cold, it's because you've experienced something that is, is hot. Or you know something is rough because you felt something that was smooth at some point. And, and you know someone cheated because you know what the rules say and you know someone, what someone can and can't do. You know someone is sick because you know what it's like to be, to be healthy. So in order to know what something is, you need to have an alternative perspective by which to compare it to. So in the case of evil, the only way that you know something is evil is to know what is good. And in order to know what is good, you have to have a, a measuring standard to know what is good and what is not good. Which brings us really back to our discussion of last week. That in order for us to determine good from bad evil from good, it requires a higher moral authority than just you or me, or check this out, how we feel. All those things are subjective to our feelings, to our experiences, or what we want. But a higher moral authority shouldn't be swayed by subjective feelings. It should be objective in order to be the standard by which we measure things from. But if you don't believe in God, or you don't have, you will never have an objective standard to go from. You're left to your subjectivity to figure out what is good and what is not, which is very much how our world is very right now. But as Christians, we believe that God is real, and so is the moral authority that he gives us. Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So, so, so here's the result of that argument that if there was evil, then God can't exist. Is that pointing to evil as the reason God doesn't exist actually turns out to prove that he does exist. Because again, let's think about it again. In order for there to be evil, there must be good. 
And in order to know what is good or what isn't good, there must be something that is objective and not subjective. And so we realize that God provides an objective rationale for why something is good or bad. It's the moral reasoning. But if you don't believe in God, there, there is one other approach that you could take. Again, we said there's two doors. And, and the second door is actually to distort the door. And what I mean by that is that you actually have to remove evil from the equation altogether. So the second perception is, is that we should believe that nothing exists, including God and evil. This is best actually ex explained by the famed atheist Richard Dawkins, and he studied at, at Oxford. And, and I just want you to listen closely to what he says. These are his words. It says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no other good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Every time I read that, I just get really sad because in order to avoid the morality argument, which leads to the reality of God, the atheist is forced to deny the existence of evil altogether. But do we really want to believe that? Like, do we really want to believe that? So could, could you imagine sitting with a family that has lost multiple family members to COVID, to the COVID virus? And then explaining to them why this terrible thing happened by simply saying, you know, it's a DNA dance that we dance. Or, or what about kids that are in the foster system? What about horrible things that they've had to endure? Like, what do we tell them? Do, do we sit them down and say, well, some people get lucky. Other people don't. It's, it's just how it is. It's, the, it's just how it is. Is that any comfort to them or their families at all? <laughs> or, or think about this. Think about how depressing of a graduation speech it would be to the class of the senior high school of this year. And the, and the person stands up and says, you have no purpose. You have no originality. You are simply a byproduct of DNA bumping into each other. You can affect no change on it. And your life is utterly meaningless. Congratulations, grads of 2020. I think we could agree that this is of no comfort to anyone and is why this reasoning doesn't hold water. Because again, at the end of the day, you and I both know pain is real. Suffering is real. Evil is real. Which is why this question of, of why a good God would allow terrible things to happen is personal to us all. No one asks this question without some personal residue fogging the glass by which they're looking through it to ask. I'm not immune to those feelings of pain myself. I've watched my newborn daughter fight for her life to breathe for two weeks in the NICU. I felt the pain of having people lie and say terrible things behind my back at different times in my life. I remember being a young boy and crying in the shower after my mom told me that her breast cancer came back for the second time. So I understand that this question about evil and pain and suffering comes with, uh, with thorns already embedded in the paws of our life.
none of us come at this neutral. But the reality is that if we can, if we look at it, it actually points to, to God more than it points away from him. This idea of pain. So, so, so let's look a little bit closer at the question here today. Because if pain is real, then really why have it? And if God is connected to it, then why, how do I justify this with a God that says he wants to, to love me? And in order to do that, I want to start off with a quote from Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi once said that we must not allow the anguish of the heart to bypass the reasoning of the mind. So important. In, in other words, we must, for just a moment, wipe away the foggy glass stained with our tears and look objectively at pain and suffering. And so what I want us to do is I want us to consider for the next few minutes four aspects of pain and suffering together. I want us to look at it. So the first thing I want us to consider is that not all pain is bad. That's right. There is, there is part of us, though, that wishes pain would go away. I mean, I don't know of anyone that would love to stand in line at the pain factory and say, yes, this is awesome. Thank you. Can I have another one of them? That's basically what you do at Costco all the time when you stand out front. That's what happens. Nobody wants to do that. See, we all want to be socially distant from pain. But, but I'm not sure many of us give pain the credit it deserves because our bodies are actually wired with these things called pain sensors for a reason. And the reason is for our protection. And I'm constantly brought back to a story that illustrates this so well from Philip Yancey's book, Where is God When It Hurts? I would commend that book to you. Uh, he says, and he actually talks about an interaction with a Dr. Paul Brand on the grounds of his property in Carville, Louisiana. And, and on that property, Dr. Brand actually cares for many, many people that have leprosy. And leprosy is, is probably one of the oldest diseases that we know about. It was around in the time of the Old Testament and when Jesus was here, even afterwards. Today, it's still here. And, but most of us think of lepers as having like large boils and disfigurements and even a loss of limbs. Those are, in fact, those secondary side effects to the disease itself. Because Dr. Brand actually pioneered his research in India. And when he was in India, he studied many patients and he concluded that leprosy is a disease that numbs the extremities. That, that therefore, the, it causes the, the patients to be unable to experience pain. And, and Dr. Brand gave so many examples of this. And he once said that he witnessed a man stick his hand into a red hot fire to retrieve a potato out, knowing, not knowing that it was burning his skin. That's intense. I'll give you another one, but if you're a little squeamish, I'm going to give you a head start here. You might want to plug your ears for maybe the next 30 seconds or so. So when I'm done, you can unplug. Here's this example. He said that he had patients that would come to him morning after morning with new injuries to their hands, and he couldn't figure it out. And so one night he realized that it was rats that had chewed on his fingers the night before. They had no idea because they couldn't feel it which caused him to require any patient being discharged to be given a cat to take home with them to protect them at night. All right, uh, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to give cats that one thing. All right, that's, that's pretty much all I'm going to give them. Um, so that's it. Uh, that's all you get. But you, you see what I'm saying? But all the damage that these patients were experiencing was because of their inability to experience pain. So pain is critical to our body functioning correctly. Ask any EMT or nurse or doctor, and they will tell you that when they talk to a patient, 
The sign of pain is actually what helps them figure out how to help them the best. Without pain, it becomes really hard to know how to help, which is why I love what Dr. Brand says. Again, listen to what he says. This is his conclusion. He says, pain, it's often seen as the great inhibitor keeping us from happiness, but I see it as the giver of freedom. He goes so far as to say, thank God for pain. So, I think we should be really careful when we say, God, you need to get rid of all pain because clearly he has, he was gracious and he was good enough to give us pain to avoid even serious, more serious damage to our life. But that does bring me to our next point that we need to consider, which is number two. And it's this, that, that we cause some of our pain. We do. If we're going to be fully honest in this conversation, we have to admit that at some point, the pain and the suffering and the evil that we feel, some of it is self-inflicted. We feel pain in our marriage because we chose to have an emotional or physical affair and now our life is a painful mess. We are suffering at our jobs because we were lazy and we didn't put in the hard work we should have. We are in pain physically because we abuse our bodies with poor eating, lack of exercise, and we're pumping it full of chemicals. And and I just hope that we can be reasonable enough to say that we can't blame God for that. We need to own what is ours to own. And, And the most painful conversations that I have with people are the ones with people that can't take responsibility for the pain that they've caused. They will blame everyone else, including God, for their pain while they sit on the sidelines just clean as a whistle. Guys, I can't point my finger at God for all of my pain because when I do, I will find that there are still three fingers pointing right back at me. But I will tell you this, not all hope is lost. It's not, which is why number three is so important to remember. That number three is that God uses pain to bring us back to him. The power of God is most evident in the middle of the hardest times of people's lives. Ask any person in true recovery and they will tell you that pain is one of the greatest motivators for change. A saying that you might hear Pastor, hear Pastor Jimmy Roulette say on, uh, on Wednesday nights at our celebration recovery says, says, God never wastes a hurt. Never. God will use the pain that we go through to bring us closer to him If we allow him, I want you to listen to these next words and listen closely that it is our choice how we leverage pain in our life. It's our choice how we leverage pain in our life. And listen, I know this is hard. My wife and I know what it's like to sit over negative pregnancy tests, failed fertility treatments and broken dreams. We've been in those seasons of pain And I know it hurts and frankly, it stinks. But I know for my family and for so many other families that I know, those that lean their life into God and allow his son Jesus to rescue them from the mess that they've made or meet them in the pain that they're in that might have been caused from other people or circumstances, that Romans 8.28 becomes an amazingly powerful verse. And we read that this is what Paul says. He says, and and for those, he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for all things, for those who have been called according to his purpose. All things. God will use all things if we can see God in all things. 
And as a man by the name of Job said famously in the, in, in the Bible, in the middle of some of the most extreme pain and suffering and loss, he says that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So God can show his realness to us in the middle of real pain, not as a way of rubbing it in, but showing us a way out of it, to sit with us in it, to give us hope through it. Consider these words from um, one of the most famous atheists and authors turned Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis. He said this, he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God can use your pain for amazing things to even bring you closer to him, if we'll allow him. And the reason that he can do that is because of the last area I want us to consider. And that is the number four, that the source of suffering, pain, and evil is not God. Although he can use pain and suffering in the world, he is not the source of it. The source of evil is sin and its father is Satan. And sin is not a created thing, but it creates destruction in our life at every turn. Sin, sin brings pain and suffering and evil-filled destruction. See, sin is where we defy God in our life, where we willfully do acts of rebellion against him. And it's the exact opposite of how God intended it to be. And as the destroyer of all good things, Satan wants nothing more than to see us fall victim to this exact destruction. And what Satan does through our sin is that he will make a mess of things, a mess of things. But he can't force us to sin. He tempts us, he lures us, he lies to us, he'll bait us into sin. But listen to what Jesus' brother James says in James 1.13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full birth, full grown, gives birth to death. That is one of the greatest definitions of evil I've ever seen. And, and, and it circles around this idea that Satan will tempt us, but we have to choose to act on it. God will never, ever see us as innocent victims forced against our will to sin. Never will. And when we take the bait of sin, the evil found within Satan's lies will explode onto our life. And what Satan will do is he'll leave us alone and guilty and shameful. And he'll also leave us to clean up the mess that we've made. And if you have no God in your life, then you are literally left to clean up that mess all by yourself. With your best efforts, with your goodness, with, with whatever you can do. It is all up to you to make things right when this life is over, to explain the mess in your life. And that might be one of the most evil tricks of Satan. And that is to convince you and I that we are alone, that we're lost, and that we're hopeless. Or worse yet, that you don't need God. You can be your own God. You're good enough just as you are. I mean, evil isn't real after all. You're just a product of a DNA dance. That's all we are. 
He creates even more of a mess in our life when he does that. And that is why, that is why I want you to know this more than anything else today. Please cling to this. And it's this, to clean up a mess, you need a mess ayah. You need a Messiah. To clean up the mess, you need a Messiah. You can't do it on your own. We can't do it ourselves. We need a Savior. Which leads me to the last part of this question that we need to answer. And that's about God's goodness. After all, if he's not good, then we shouldn't be surprised that bad stuff comes from a bad God. But God is good. He is. It's, it's how he's shown himself to us from the very beginning. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God made a good creation, but it actually wasn't very good until you and I were in it. And he actually says that he created us in his own image, which means that he, he, when he looks at us, he sees a part of himself, which makes me want to say when I look in the mirror, don't I look good? Woo! Don't I look good today? But, but, but consider, considering this, look at what James says in the next part of James chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17. James says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything that is good is from God, and it says that he will not change. It is who he is. He's not only good, but he is love and he loves us. Proof of this is in the goodness and the love of Jesus. Guys, God gave us Jesus. And guess what? Jesus didn't live like this unpain-filled life. My friends, he suffered. He came from the perfection of earth to the imperfection, or the perfection of heaven to the imperfection of earth. He lived a perfect life, not ever sinning at all, but yet he was crucified on a cross. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross. He was, he was nailed there to suffocate and die. He suffered. He was not immune to pain, but he took it on. He took all of it on for us. And because of the pain he took on, we have the promise of an eternity without any of it. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 4. It says, it says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No other religion can promise you that. No other morality can promise that. A life without God cannot promise you that. Only, only in Jesus can you have that promise. Because to clean up a mess, you need a Messiah. So my friends, this is why when we circle back to communion, it's so important for us to remember this. Communion remembers Jesus' crucifixion, the messy, messy crucifixion. But he did all of that to clean up the mess of your life and my life. So, so no matter where you're at here today, what I would encourage you to do is ask yourself, how are you doing on cleaning up the mess of your life? And I would just be so bold enough to argue to say, because I've seen it in my life, that when I try to clean up my own mess, I just make more of a mess. And that's why God is saying, take your hands off. 
Like, I'm a good, good father and I love you. I've sent a Messiah to clean up your mess. Take your hands off, believe in Jesus and let him clean you up. And he promises he'll do that for anyone that claims his name as Lord and Savior. Anyone can be set free. So in a second, before you get your cracker and juice or whatever you're using for communion, I want to pray for you. And I just want to pray that if you are still trying to clean up the mess of your life, this 10 o'clock service this morning, if that's you, I want you to accept the Messiah in your life, Jesus in your life, to clean that mess up so you can be free. And that can happen today. Guys, the world that we live in is a mess. Coronavirus, all the wars, everything that we see is because of sin. It's not because of God. God wants to bring peace and harmony and love into this world. Through sin, it destroys it. But you don't have to destroy your life. Jesus can make you whole. And that can begin right now. Because to clean up a mess, we need a Messiah. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, we come before you realizing the world that we're in is gray and dark and messy and it's easy to look around and say, what in the world is going on? And it's easy to look up to the heavens and blame you because frankly, it makes it easier for us not to have to take responsibility ourselves. We can yell out into the, into the unknown and it will just go out and we could feel better about ourselves. But the reality is we still are filled with this vacuum, as Pascal said, inside us. And the real reality is, is we still are left with a mess in our life. God, even when COVID goes away, there still will be other problems. So God, what I ask right now is that you would help us to evaluate the reality of the mess in our life, realize that we're making only a mess of it more when we try to fix it ourselves, and that today we need a Messiah. So God, if there's anyone out there that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I would just ask him in this moment right now to say, God, my life is a mess. It's a mess because I've sinned and that sin has separated me from you. Today I realize I need a Messiah. I can't clean up my mess alone. And so God, I ask Jesus to come in my life to clean up my mess that I created with my sin and to make me whole. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I repent of my past. I embrace my future and I want you to be my Savior. God, you tell us if any one of us claims you as Lord and Savior, that the old is gone, the new has come, we can be found whole in you. I pray that that would happen across the country, around the world, that that would happen. And I pray for anyone that does know you, Jesus, that their lives would return to the Messiah, that when those little spills happen in our life, we wouldn't try to fix them ourselves, but we would come back to you. And we remember that that's possible because of communion, that only through you can we be made whole because of the cross, the empty tomb, because of the scars. Because you went through pain, we don't have to. So God, thank you for this time. Be with us now as we commune and remember your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.